Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is the president and owner of Levy Creative Management, Sari Levy Shore. Business manager, salesperson, therapist, art director, artist representatives can serve one or two of these roles for illustrators, or in Sari's case, all of them. Among other topics, Sari shares how she transitioned from being an illustration student who didn't think she was, quote, good enough to being an agent. We talk about the agent-illustrator relationship. Sari also answers questions from patrons of the podcast about signing with a rep, the viability of traditional art, portfolio mistakes, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. It was a bit of a challenge trying to find information on you. Um, it's why? Almost, I don't know why I'm asking you that question. It's almost like you focus on and support who your artists are instead of on who you are. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, why? My company's everywhere. I don't know. You're, you're right, actually. I'm, I'm a little bit private. Are we being recorded? We are. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't like the attention personally. I don't, I, you know, I like the intention on my artist. Right. Opposed to me. Also, it's, you know, you leave it, you leave it to the imagination, right? You don't have to show everybody everything. And if they really want to know, they know where to find you, so to speak. Jeez. Are you sure you're an agent? <laughs> Yeah, this isn't about me. This is about my artist. Isn't that the, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Oh, or or maybe maybe I should be doing the opposite, exposing myself more. I don't know. It's not my thing. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about your artists in a minute. Um, until then, who are you? No, no, I'm kidding. That's um, an interesting question, though. It's so yeah, funny. Really. I don't uh, I don't like attention on me. Well, why you did know? you why did you uh, agree to be on this podcast then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Great question. I know. Um, because I think it benefits other people who want to know about having an agent or sure. or what I'm about in terms of how I represent my artist. Because mm-hmm. I know that I'm very different from, you know, the agent next door or the agent in LA or the agent overseas. I mean, everybody does it differently. Right. Right. Um, so I can only speak to, um, what I do and how my company represents its artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that was worth it to me. No. Okay. Well, I do want to know a few things before we get to all of that. Where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York out of Syracuse in a little place called Fayetteville, New York. What was it like there? What was it like there? It was a small town. Um, you know, we were we weren't really close to a city, but we traveled a lot. My parents um, are not; uh, they weren't from the area, so and they're they're both international. Um, my dad was born in Egypt. My mom was born in Israel, so we traveled a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but we grew up in a in a small in a small uh, little city. It was, you know, it was fun. We grew up in the typical suburban 
community, very close to Syracuse University. Mm-hmm. So we were big sports fans and, tra- and traveled, you know, got a chance to do a lot because of where my parents were from. So did you yeah. uh, when you were a kid, were you like, one day I'm going to be an agent? Like, what's the what are the steps from, let's say, college? Where'd you go to college? I went to Syracuse undergrad for nice. illustration and I went to graduate school at NYU. See, had I known that, see, that's not, that's not information that's readily available on the internet. So you <laughs> went to Syracuse for illustration. Now I have like a thousand other questions I want to ask you, but we don't have the time. Who? Well, I, I will ask you one question, though. Um, who were some of your teachers at Syracuse? I'm wondering if one of them was Murray Tinkleman. Yes, of course. Oh, yes, man. Course. See, now I have more questions to ask you about this. <laughs> I love Murray Tinkleman. He's the best. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed having him as a teacher. He scared a lot of people, but I loved him. Definitely. Um, yeah, I had uh, and I had Roger Demuth and I had Bob Dacey, a um, couple people who aren't there anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, Murray Tinkleman is. He was like, he was the star when I was there. Yeah. Why did he scare people? Do you think? Because he was brutally honest. Definitely. He was just he was very genuine, you know, and I love those kind of people. Do you think he could be brutally honest? I asked this question uh, a few episodes ago. Um, I had an SVA professor on, and I asked her the same question. Do you think that teachers, especially in the college space, can be as brutally honest as Murray Tinkleman was today? Can they be today? I, you know, I think so much has changed today versus yesterday um yeah i think they can be i think we're in an industry where you can't fake it as an artist if you're not you know um you know the industry commissions artists because of of style and if if you know you're putting teachers in place to give advice and to teach and while it's hard to do that um, to some who you don't think will succeed or not, uh, you know, I, I think honesty is best if it gets you to a better place. Um, but a lot of people don't don't like to hear about um, honesty either. So it really, I, I think it sometimes depends on the person who's receiving the advice. Definitely. Um, but I think there's a way to to deliver, and I think maybe that's you know. What, what could be focused on rather than, you know, can we be honest? Right. And, I, and I've done, you know, I, I used to teach a business class at, at Pratt and I do a lot of um, lecturing and portfolio reviews. So, so it is sometimes hard to be honest to that person on the other side who doesn't want to receive that um, or to give, you know, good advice for, for what you know, obviously it's it's all opinionated, right? Mm-hmm. What what I think might be different from what you think, um, but based on my experience, you know, is is where where you take that and where you give your advice from. Right. What were the steps that led you to becoming an agent? What were you doing before that? I spent my years at at, at Syracuse as an illustrator mm-hmm. and as you know, in, in the illustration department, and really, I I didn't think I was good enough, but I loved the field and I loved the business aspect for it, um, of it. And so I made my way to New York and started working for 
a smaller uh, agency while I was getting my degree in arts administration at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is that I was hired by another agency before I even graduated, but they needed somebody sooner than, than uh, my graduation date. So I couldn't continue working with them mm-hmm. or even start working with them. So I, ha- I had it in mind that this was something that I wanted to do. Was it throughout the four years of college? No. Um, but you know, being an illustrator is hard, you know, and some are, some have it and some don't. And, and, you know, it's interesting to see how many people make it. I mean, I don't think it, it, it's a big number. No. So you and that's, did... that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a little bit. In 1996, you founded Levy Creative Management, a global artist management agency, what ultimately compelled you to start your own agency? So I was working at the time, um, it was almost two years, I was working at the time for a company called Artco. They were they were shifting their their company as well. Uh, they, they no longer exist. Um, and I was working with uh, a few people there, and they had asked me to go on my own. And I had a core group of, of illustrators who supported me at the time. And so, and at that point I, I learned a lot about how I wanted to handle my agency. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, great experience working with some top name artists at the time. And, and that's what led me to, to starting. I, I once asked someone, another guest of the podcast who runs his own agency and he's been doing it since the eighties for advice on possibly creating my own agency, his first words were something to the effect of, get ready to punch yourself in the face every day. I'm hoping that wasn't <laughs> or isn't your experience. How was your first year? You know, was it smooth sailing, bumpy road, somewhere in between? I mean, I have to tell you, I was young and probably, you know, not thinking very clearly at the time, you know, who am I to be doing this? I don't know anything about anything. Um, But maybe sometimes that's the way you do it. I mean, I I remember working 24-7. I had, you know, barely any money, but I had support and I had loyalty and I had the drive to do it. and, you know, there were a couple of people in the industry saying, you know, you're crazy. Come work for me. You're never going to make it as an, as an agent. Um, and, and that drives me more than anything. Right. That's, that's, um, wait a minute. Hold on. Back up for a second. So, that's crazy. It's like someone's telling you, you're never yeah. going to, you're never going to achieve your dreams. Come work for me. What? Yes. Yeah. I'll work for yes. you. Okay. I had, I had someone who basically said, you know, consider working for me. I don't think they should go on your own. I don't know that you're going to make it. And I think that you're better off suited working for somebody else. But I said, okay, thank you. But no, thank you. Yeah. There's a reason why they said that. Cause they, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? They thought the opposite probably. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, you know, that um, was a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the same person that I was talking to, um, who has his own agency and started the eighties, he, part of my French, said that his first, you know, sort of like steps into being an agent, he said a lot of the success that he received was basically, and I quote him, dumb fuck luck. That's funny. 
Was there anything um, like that, or do you, were you a bit I, more I disciplined? I think that I had. You know, I think that I was really driven. I was really disciplined. I had some, you know, some really good artists and I had some really good connections at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it was also very different. It wasn't a free for all like it is now where there was no Internet. I mean, there was a service called AOL <laughs> that everybody <laughs> had, you know, like the dial up that not everybody had. I mean, that was the time where I started. I mean, yeah, um, we were still making transparencies. We were still shooting oil paint. We weren't working digitally. It was very, very different. Um, we were using source books and we actually had relationships with our art directors we walked into you know a published publishing house and we met you know 10 people and we had lunch and there were esquire holiday parties i mean all this is very 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 different back then so a lot of it was luck but a lot of it was connection and drive and one thing led to another and then i i I grew the group, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's far from, I think everybody has this preconceived notion of, you know, the agent, it's easy to be an agent. I I don't think a lot of people know the extent of what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And, you know, everyone thinks like, you know, the agent is making a ton of money, but if you break down the math, um, (laughs) you know, you have to work your ass off. Right. To make a living so uh, there you know there is this preconceived notion that you know the agent has you know this magic wand and I'm you know sitting here in my office and if somebody wants a job I just wave it and I get it right you know yeah but or I, I imagine I, like I an agent works that way <laughs> poolside drinking a margarita sunglasses on oh, oh yeah you know with their cell phone in their hand making deals right dealing and right dealing. I mean right. I'm actually I'm talking to you, like, you know, from my summer home. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm talking to you I'm from my closet. I'm sitting in my New York apartment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like uh, everybody else. That's actually a question. You know what? I, that's not something I wanted to talk about, but I didn't. Let's talk about it now. Back then versus now. Back then, there were there were Esquire parties, and you hung out with art directors inside publishing houses and that sort of thing. Now, even before covid were you, I mean, that had to have not been the same in terms of like one-on-one personal relationships. Once the internet sort of, you know, came of age, I guess is one way of saying it. What were the, I don't know, what are you seeing with that sort of thing? I mean, I guess obviously maybe we should fold COVID into, into this whole thing. I don't even know what I'm asking. I mean, what, what are the differences between? Well, I'll answer I'll answer what I think that you're asking, um, but but I'll may, and take it a different direction because it actually might help. But you know, pre-COVID or during COVID or whatever have you, um, you were doing an, an internet uh, strictly because of the internet. Whereas I was sending out portfolios back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, every artist had a printed portfolio. You know, an art director called and they said, can I see a book? And you called your messenger and you put the book in a messenger bag and, mm-hmm. you know, out the messenger went with yep. the book. Was it DHL? Um, <laughs> I know we had a messenger service. Oh, well, we used FedEx and DHL and, you know, for outside outside of the state and, you know, the same, you know, the same went for producing work and getting it shot. You know, that was FedEx and messengers. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we used all of those services right. um, so, on a regular basis. Yeah. So you have this um, like, guy all... with like giant chains wrapped around his torso, like carrying oh, an artist portfolio from yeah. your office to somebody else's yeah. office. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, and so that was how we handled art directors um, seeing portfolios. Now an art director wants to see a portfolio. They can literally do that in two seconds. Mm-hmm. So that has changed the way of communication because either I'm not there doing a song and dance about my artist um, or I'm not delivering portfolios where they can actually flip through a book. Um, You know, the experience has changed tremendously where they're just hopping online um, and they're either going directly to a portfolio or they are doing a search or whatever have you. Um, It's very different. Very, very different. An illustrator emailed me recently asking if it was a terrible idea for her to start an agency. She's currently repped, um, but she's growing more and more frustrated by the contracts that she's getting from her agent, the low fees, the copyright and moral rights giveaways, etc. cetera. Um, to be fair with this question, I know the agency, and this isn't the first time I've heard negative things about them. So I'm not saying that like, it's across the board. This is just her experience. But it is a, an experience that I hear about often. This is all leading to something. I'm, I'm not, by the way, I'm not going to name that a- agency because call out culture is for sociopaths. What are yeah, you? Yeah, we se- like to find the positive. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So what are you seeing in terms of clients' needs? And let's oh, touch okay. on like two sides of the coin. Let's do one good thing that you're seeing, one bad thing that you're seeing. That's really a loaded question because I think it depends on the artist too, right? Right. What what type of work does the artist do? If the artist only does, you know, these very basic um, black and white illustrations and more icons or whatever have you, then probably they're doing more editorial and newspaper and those fees are um, in general on the lower side. Um, but so it's, I, I, I can't answer that question um, without knowing the artist or style or whatever have you. So that's a, that's a difficult question to answer outright. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, fees are all over the board. We get plenty of fees for $200, $500, $2,000. But then there are some fees that are, are 10 times higher than that, 20 mm-hmm. times higher than that. It depends on the industry. Right. Um, that being said, rewind back to the contracts. I don't know what that agent is doing to negotiate that contract. There are a few companies that that are, this is the way we work. This is the fee. No negotiation of contracting. This, If you don't like it, we'll go to somebody else. There are many companies that work like that. But then there are other companies where I can say, hey, you know what? Can, can I have that one-time usage contract instead of the work for hire? Or... If we do the work for hire, can we sell the art for posters? Or there are ways to get around the system. Where you can't really get around the system is when you're doing these enormous projects for these huge brands. Mm -hmm. And they want all the rights. And, you know, movie posters, Facebook, Apple, like a lot of these companies, that's just the way it is. Right. But again, it depends on what area of those companies, you know, we've done. It, it depends on, on the job, really. All right. So let me let me let me whittle that question down to something a little bit more specific. And I'll, I'll just share this. I'll share with you what illustrators share with me. 
and let's just focus with one industry. Let's do publishing. Uh, more and more, they're seeing you know publishers are are attempting to capture more of their rights. It seems to be a bit of a trend. I can tell you that when I used to work in publishing, we would get these edicts from up on high that we needed to try to capture more of the rights of the art. Um, meaning, instead of offering uh, contracts that are royalty based and advanced based and stuff, offer contracts that are work for hire. Are you seeing any of that? Is the question. Listen, I mean, there are companies that, you know, their lawyers have really, you know, honed in on owning everything, um, but there are ways around it. You know, some some of these bigger companies, you know, they have, you know, great, a great creative team who are basically saying, you know, hey, you know what, we, we have to give some of the, you know, the artists rights. And so, you know, while I'm seeing it in some places, um, I'm not seeing it in others, uh, but I'm I'm also seeing that there is an ability ne- to negotiate. Okay, fair. Uh, so uh, you know, listen, I I ask a lot of questions, and you know, one of the first things before I even speak to an artist about the contract, one of the first things I do is is find out, you know, whether it's work for hire or whether they want to own the copyright. Mm-hmm. Um, but there. There are ways around it. I mean, and and listen, any any art you would rather get all the calls in the world than no calls at all. And every artist has the ability to say yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. The more artists that say yes to these type of contracts, the the more we're failing because then you know nobody's really sticking up for the artist, right? It's the same thing if if an artist quotes five thousand dollars for a job and then somebody quotes a hundred. I mean, you've just taken down the industry. Um, just to get a job. Right, right. Uh, you know, I think that we just have to speak up more. Your agency is described as a boutique agency that prides itself on its highly individualized and personalized approach. These are your words or your website's words with each sure. of their artists and clients. Personalized, individualized. What is that? What does that does mean? That mean? But yeah, I mean, what, is, what does that mean? It means that every artist who I take on, I have a, a working relationship with, right? I cannot, I cannot work with 30 people at a time, right? It's like mm-hmm. having 30 children. So those who I take on, um, I work one-on-one with. And we come up with a plan individually um, in terms of where they see themselves, where they want to be, if their portfolio is not, not ready or they want to work in a different area and we need to work together to make that book stronger or add different subjects to the book. Um, I don't have a staff that works with them or, you know, that I pawn off the jobs to. Uh Um, I, I do, everything is a working relationship with myself. That's why the group is small and everybody is individual, right? So I don't promote competition within the group. So everybody has their own unique style. Mm -hmm. Someone you represent, who you still represent, by the way, said, without her, I don't think anyone would even know who I am. She's a hard worker and does so much for her artists. Unquote. What do you think? Yeah. (laughs) What do you think an agent should be doing for their artists, for the artists they represent? What shouldn't they be doing? 
You know, it, it's it's hard to say because I've I've been penalized for you know <laughs> for some of it. Um, you know, I like to have a working relationship with my artists where we understand who they are, where they want to be, and that if they have things going on personally, then I'm not badgering them constantly about, you know, hey, you know, it's been six months since I've seen something in your book. Like, I I, I kind of work with each person very differently based on their needs, based on their personality, and, and where they are in life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's very different for each person. I'm not that rep who takes, you know, X amount, amount of dollars per year and basically says, you need to make X amount of money. You need to promote yourself X amount of times a year. Um, I need to see X amount of portfolio pieces, you know, right. every six months for you. Like, that's not who I am. Wait, people do that? Um, some. Jeez. Some. So, yeah. you know, listen, if, if someone in the group is, having financial problems or they just had a baby and they need a couple months off, then mm-hmm. so be it. You know, we're all human. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's very individualized. So speaking of uh, humans and uh, individualized, I have questions from most of them are from patrons of this podcast. So yeah, little quick fire Q and a ready for that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Scott, from Louisville, Kentucky, asks, what is the process like for bringing on a new artist? What is the average length of time it takes to bring one on? He's heard that the process can take months. That, that process in general, I mean, it could, it could be really quick. It doesn't have to take months. I'm not really sure why it would take months. Maybe it's the, it's the signing of the contract. It's putting the portfolios together. Um, it shouldn't. It shouldn't really take that long. Um, I think the trickier part is how long to see results. And that that's the longer portion mm-hmm. of um, representation is that everybody wants to, to get a rep and they all think that they're going to get jobs and right. immediately. And, I, and, and I'm, not so sh- I'm not sure if they're talking about just to sign, an, to sign a new artist. I mean, that's, it shouldn't take that long. I don't know why it would take months to sign a, on a, an artist on. If you're signing an artist on and that artist is fairly new to the industry and they need time to work on their portfolio and by the time you get them up and running on the website and you start promoting them, maybe that's what they're talking about. Um, but to sign an, a, an artist on shouldn't, shouldn't take that long. So Des from London, Ontario asks, what's one truth of the literary world for authors and illustrators starting out that you wish didn't exist? It, it's a, it's a really difficult industry. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people think that they're really good at everything. Um, and there are few, few artists who are really good writers and few writers who are really good authors. And those who are good at both seem to have success. So Jessica from Moscow, Idaho, asks, what is the likelihood of taking on a traditional artist? Do art directors shy away from traditional art? Um, Art directors do not shy away from traditional art as long as it doesn't take you three months to do a piece. Um, That being said, it depends on 
what you do. I mean, I used to represent a lot of traditional artists and I still know a lot of traditional artists. Have they converted over to digital? On some, on some level, yes, they can, um, but they still do a lot of traditional work. I, I, I think it depends on what, what industry you're in. Um, if it's, you know, I just got a job this morning and the job is due in three days, you know, can you do that traditionally and scan it or shoot it and produce it in a way that, you know, if that's the industry that you're in, great, why not? I, I, art directors don't call and say, does this person work traditionally or digitally? I know some, sometimes now we're getting, you know, is this vector artist? I want to convert it into an animation. You know, that we're getting that a little bit more now than before. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think it matters what you are as long as what who you're working for it, you know, yeah. it works. Yeah, I, I don't, I just don't subscribe just to build off of that question. Um, my own personal view is that I, I don't subscribe to the like quote guaranteed fact that if you work digitally, you work uh, more quickly than a traditional yeah. illustrator. 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I have some digital artists who, who paint on the computer and, and their painting on the computer is no different from them painting on a canvas. Right. So it takes just the same amount of time that it would have taken if they were doing this traditionally with oils or acrylics or whatever have you. Right. I would, and when, when yeah. you, when you look at some, some of the artists on my site, you don't know what they do. You don't know if they work traditionally or not. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I think in some cases working digitally takes longer because you have the command Z option. It's like you put a brushstroke <laughs> down, undo it, put it down, undo it, put it down, undo it. 10 minutes go by. You didn't do anything. Right. Whereas with traditional media, it's different. Let's move on. Um, Chrissy from Silver Spring, Maryland, she says that she sees that you represent international talent. Um, if an artist were to maintain citizenship in both the EU and the US, does this increase her ability to get work in both regions? Would this make an artist more attractive to an agent? No, it yeah, doesn't matter not. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day when you know, everyone wanted to move to New York because it was easier to get jobs here. You could shoot your work and messenger it. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter right. um, where you are. I have artists all over the world in many different time frames, and mm-hmm. nobody cares. Stephen from Queens, New York, right across the bridge from where I assume you are. Yeah, I'm looking at Queens right now. Because of COVID restrictions that have been in place, have you received more requests for illustrations? I think he's kind of implying that um, there are fewer opportunities for photography, maybe. It has changed a little bit. Um, at, at one point, there was you know, hardly anything coming in for, for anybody. Um, that has totally changed um, recently. Uh, Request for more illustrations? I don't. I don't think so. Um, it ebbs and flows because there's. Are, are you asking that question because there hasn't been the ability to use photography? I mean, I think a lot of people went on standstill for a little bit. Um, now we're seeing an uptick, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, people are are getting back to work. People are in the office. Uh, they're yeah. you know. Digital and print is 
is flowing again. There seems to be a consistency, you know, where at the time last year was, you know, it was a little bit finicky with everybody out of work and not knowing what was going on. Right. I've asked that question in similar terms with, uh, to, um, with other guests who are agents or art directors and everyone has been saying how much, um, they're busier now, um, with respect to illustration requests and books designed and all that sort of stuff than they were pre COVID. Huge uptick. Um, you know, we've seen a huge uptick in our online presence, our social media, Mm -hmm. uh, advertising, um, everybody's online, right? So, you know, we're doing, um, there's a lot, there's been a lot of work that we've done for online magazines, online advertising, um, new business form, new businesses forming, um, website illustration. We've had loads of work in that arena. And right now we are seeing an enormous uptake in publishing too. Mm-hmm. On all sides of the spectrum. Yeah. That definitely aligns with conversations I've been having with art directors and publishing. And puzzles, by the way. <laughs> puzzles are big. COVID brought back puzzles. That's I'm gonna quote that. I'm gonna take that snippet out and tweet it. COVID brought back puzzles. Yeah. Um, Catherine from Springfield this is the last one. Catherine from Springfield, uh, Missouri asks quality of the artwork aside. So already this is another loaded question. Quality of the artwork aside, which you can't really do that, but all right, let's for, for this question, what will prompt you to immediately leave an illustrator's website? Put another way, what can illustrators do to improve, improve their websites are there any website pet peeves that they should be avoiding? It's actually a great question because sometimes I do go on sites and be like, oh my gosh, what does this person do? Well, they want representation. I click on every website, by the way, that I get. But sometimes I get to their site and they're a photographer and they travel and there's travel essays and photography and they're writers and they're designers and they're illustrators and they do this style and that style. And there's a hundred things going on on that page. And Mm -hmm. I, I leave right away Um, because I just, there, there's no focus. I think the most important thing is to idiot proof your book in a way um, that shows somebody who you are and what you do. Um, and, and this is, it's a huge challenge too, because I, I find that um, one of the biggest things that I tell students when I'm doing portfolio reviews, when I see a portfolio and it's literally all over the place, they have children's books, they have editorial work, they have advertising pieces and they all look different. I basically say, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to do everything. Um, and that's that's a huge challenge because I want to see one thing initially that they do really, really well. It's very hard to be a doctor, a lawyer, and a musician all at the same time, right? Like everybody chooses their their field of expert and then they start adding in other things that they do. and there's a there are very few artists who are really good at a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say focus is huge in terms of who you are 
when somebody sees your work, they want to recognize the work to your name. And, and what, what is that style? Um, when you when I say Monet, you know exactly where I'm going with this, right? You know the style, you know the technique. It, there's there needs to be an association with your name and your work, and you can't do that if you're all over the place. Um, and and I think it's really important on all you know all over the board, you know whether you're beginning or you've been in the industry for five ten years to really compartmentalize your site because your site will sell you in two seconds or it will, or, or you'll lose the job in two seconds. Right. Right. You want the, your site to speak on behalf of, of who you are. Yep. Does that make sense? Totally. There are lots of illustrators listening uh, to this. I'm happy to say, um, speaking directly to them. What would be one last piece of advice? I think that, you know, every artist has to have a passion in what they do. And, and their work is, is a, is a piece of them. They need to love, you know, you need to be happy with who you are as an artist and what you're promoting. Um, and if you're working with an agent, then you have to have that working relationship. You have to be on the same page. Um, it is a partnership and then a marriage um, but I, I feel like first and foremost, your your art is is what speaks on behalf of you as a person. So I think that you really have to have a passion in what you do, and you also have to be very realistic in terms of how this industry works, and and you have to have patience and persistence and and drive the ability to want to be here. To learn more about Sorry, visit levycreative.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reasonable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.